I have to say, I loved the Ayn Rand quote you chose. Well, I uh, I had to tempt you. You had to I tempt had to make me. You go, go back on your word. No, it will not be an Ayn Rand quote. I'm sorry. I'm sticking to my word. Uh, so I am piggybacking. If you couldn't tell by Maya being in the background when we started this call, I'm piggybacking mm-hmm. podcast right now. Already did it. I recorded with Austin earlier. Nice, nice. So I mean, now this podcast. So I was about to say, now I'll put you in a good mood. <laughs> nothing can, nothing can help me recover from from that. There's just not a, I mean, there's not an ointment or a tonic that's going to take away the pain of that relationship. I was about to say, there's no one doing the damage. I'm sorry. Yeah, life is pain. <laughs> wow. Welcome to the new year. Yeah, I. Okay. So this is our. It's been it's been a really long year. I think it has. Yes. I think I think you and I deserve a nap. This is our last uh, podcast before before 2016 is over. Goodbye, 2016. We shall miss you like a plague. I really want to host like a. a a bonfire where we just burn things from 2016. I would really like that. Burn them in effigy or just anything that has the numbers 2, 0, 1, and 6 on them? No, just bad memories sequence. from this year. Gotcha. Yeah, like like the uh, Time magazine with Trump being the person of the year. Man of the year. No, he is person of the year. He made a big deal about how they changed it from man to person and how he'd rather be man of the year. Because, yeah. Yeah, I think I would probably burn some of the uh, the Lay's Pick Your Flavor offerings from this year. Because they just weren't good. You like biscuits and gravy? No, I thought that was... Uh, I think they're reaching at this point. There's only so many savory food. Like, they, like come on. And it's funny, just... it's funny that they do that because... Like, why don't they go into the Canadian chip flavors? Because there's no ketchup flavor here. Why don't they do that? I feel like that's like a, that's a solid, that's a solid winner. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems unnecessary and kind of, I don't know. I feel (laughs) another election or another, another voting choice where I didn't really like my options. (laughs) Um, I saw Star Wars. The other night. Awesome. The the droid made me think of you, honestly. Oh, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, uh, Alan Tudyk just knocked it out of the park. It was so good. He's great. He is great in everything he does. I'm a huge fan ever since A Knight's Tale. I, I hear he's actually a huge, like, colossal dick to his kids. So, did you not hear great that? In everything. Did you hear that, like, from his kids' like YouTube channel when they're complaining, or like, where did you hear this? No, it was on TMZ. He's 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 really. No, I'm just. I, <laughs> I I know. I'm sure he's a wonderful father. I don't know if he even has. Children, I was gonna say I don't know if he has kids. Um, I I know very little about him, but he's, me neither. He's great. He's from Plano, Texas. Ooh, fancy. Yes. I found that out when I was in Texas last. 
<laughs> but he did so great in A Knight's Tale that for a long time I actually thought he was uh, he was English. Huh. Yeah, because he did a really good job in A Knight's Tale from that. And then I think it was like knocked up when I was like, oh, he's definitely not English. So it took me a good long time. He was great in that too. He just kept telling yeah, her to tighten. He's like, just tighten, tighten. Him and he's just Lake. funny. Yeah, he's good. But he did a great job. There, I can't wait for you to watch it because very few people have seen it here. And I have not really gotten to talk to anyone about it. And it's one of those things that the second I was done with it, I just wanted to talk to everyone about it. And mm-hmm. I was like, no one cares. <laughs> no one wants to I don't talk know to me about I- that. I don't know if I'm even going to catch it before Christmas because um, I'm gonna. I'm waiting to see it with my dad. Which I get. Um, yeah, when I'm home. Uh, so we'll see if that happens before Christmas. But I am like aching. I, I want to see it so badly. I just want. I want to see the third act battle. I want to see. Oh it. man, it's the third act is so good. It's just so good. I. I loved it. I I have a few issues with a few things, and I think they're the same issues that you would have. But uh-huh. it was done so well, and I had, like, a hope for how it would end, just based on... Would you call it a, a new, new hope? hope? Um, <laughs> yes, that's... Sorry. Yes, I, I figured that's where you were going with it. Uh... Um, sorry, I was I got a text message and I got distracted. Yeah, no, it ended it ended how I really wanted it to end, and I oh, was good. really glad about that. I felt very, I didn't feel like it was fan servicey in the way that Force Awakens was, mm-hmm. and that made me really happy. This is actually the second I talked a bit about Star Wars in Disney Channel this this last recording, but it was. I mean, Maya doesn't want me to make it into a Star Wars podcast, much as I may try. So, um, I'm I'm talking about it with you because I think you actually will listen. Uh, That's what I'm doing right now. You're like, I can't stop. I have no choice in this. I have signed a contract. You Where is the mute it. button? Mute, mute, mute. Sorry, no. But it was very good. Very little fan servicey. Like there were like two parts that were a bit fan servicey. Um, but really, I mean, if you're talking in like the the like grand scope of it 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 was very much its own film it was it from start to finish it just felt like a complete film it didn't feel like it was it didn't feel like things weren't fleshed out i liked how quick it was because star wars has moments that it drags in my opinion Mm -hmm. and i just felt like there was a lot of it was just very it was quick it was clever and the characters were great like um a lot of characters that i didn't think i would like i really did like and i loved that in this film because in the prequel films and in the uh in four through six i feel like the you know the rebellion is they're the good guys and the empire is you know the bad guys and it's very black and white and this is a lot more gray it's a war movie so it's a lot about the things that you do that you might not be proud of to achieve a goal that you believe in. Hmm. And I liked that. Well, I'll be glad to see that sort of gray tone and consequence in that universe. I mean, it existed a lot in expanded universe stuff, um, and especially the video games. But to see it in a big screen 
Star Wars main storyline canon context will be will be rewarding. I'm excited for that. Would you put this in your uh, top couple movies of the year? You think? Oh yeah, without a doubt. Without top five. Uh, I'd say top three. Oh wow! What was your what's your number one movie of the year this uh, year? Uh, it was one I just just saw, Manchester by the Sea. Really? Yep. Sucks. It's. Huh. I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's a really hard movie. Huh. Um, but yeah, I'd say that's number one. Like, I mean, it's just it's well done. It's just fucking great. Casey Affleck deserves all the awards. Yeah, you um, buy into the Oscar buzz. I am. I am buying into the Oscar buzz. He did good. Wow. He did good. He's my favorite Affleck currently. What? I know, right? I would say that's number one right now. Um, I just watched Hunt for the Wilder People. For the Wilder People? The Wilder People? I thought it was Wilder People. I thought it was the Wilder People. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the Wilder People. Um, anyway, great movie. Great, great, great movie. And so I'd say that's probably number two right now. And I'd say Rogue One's three. I acknowledge that two of my top three movies of this year are movies I've seen this week. So I feel like there is a little bit of, I just saw it, so Right. Does it feel like Deadpool came out this year? Because it did. Think about that. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Um, I, honestly, I that's weird. This has been a year. It's just been a fucking year. But I think it's probably part of it is because I've seen those movies so recently. Mm-hmm. And But it, I feel like there were some really good movies that came out this year. But those two just felt very complete. And I really liked Hunt for the Wilder People. While I've been sick, I watched that. Um, it's great. But I, I also recognize, like, I think I'm also suffering from having just seen these films. All right. So, yeah. I, I would say those three movies are like the three that I really, really liked and just I want to watch again and again. Like I have tried really hard to not go and see Rogue One because there's things I needed to do this weekend. So yeah, that's been that's been my, my plight. But I'm also seeing La La Land on Monday, so we'll see. Man, you're, you're going to enough screenings. You, could, uh, you should be allowed to vote for the Academy Awards. You're just knocking <laughs> them all off the list. You saw Moonlight too, right? I haven't seen Moonlight yet. I need to see Moonlight. Yeah, for as as much as I love cinema, this has been a down year for me um, as far as just consumption goes, at least in theaters. You know, at home, I've still watched plenty, but... I think my issue is I've been sick for a while, too, and movies seem to be, like, a good option for me so that I'm not, like, getting sort of depressed and sad in my house, and but Mm -hmm. I'm not, like, exerting a lot of energy. I also saw... I also saw... The night I saw... Rogue One, I also saw Tignataro. Really? Yeah. It was a good night for me. I mean, I was exhausted. Like, I was... Where I felt did you like see I, her? Um, I saw her at the Neptune. How was it? Uh, it was so good. It yeah. was so good. She just did a great job. And I feel, like, so invested in her happiness mm-hmm. because of the documentary and because of her comedy specials and just, like, who she is as a person. I feel very invested in her life. And that, yeah. and she just, she's hilarious and deadpan, and I just love it. It's everything I love about about comedy. I just love that <laughs> that that like dry sarcasm that's so dry that if it was a turkey, you couldn't make a sandwich out of it. Nice. Yeah. So that's that's my uh, 
that's my feeling about 2016. What would you say your your three movies this year would be? Oh, my top three films for the year. I would probably say number three was Zootopia. Um, yeah, I really liked it. I was surprised and not at all. I, I mean, I thought it would be good because by the time I saw it, there were some reviews out and I was like, oh, okay, pleasant surprise. That's nice. But um, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed my time watching that movie. Um, I love the sloth <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, I I just like the whole comment on the nature of power and politics. And there's a big message in there about terrorism and authoritarianism and it's running yeah. on fear yeah yeah like I, I was like wow this is some heavy shit to be dropping in a kids movie that's like because i i find that in animation especially it's real easy to try and teach a moral lesson about something emotional or personal in this i don't know like sharing or moving is hard or emotions are complicated or family can be difficult like things like that that are really basic things that kids will deal with that are just sort of part of your development as a person but to have a movie that is very much children's entertainment that focuses on a broader sort of social context that's not something that's immediately going to be affected by a kid or be something that a kid may immediately see in the world or recognize. Like, you know, it's, it's about politics, in my opinion. It's about the politics of fear. And dropping that into a kid's movie, I thought was brilliant. And instead of, instead of this, like, really easy to digest little emotional narrative there were still personal stakes and it still affected these animals personally but it wasn't as a result of their interpersonal relationships like the formula so often you know oh a hard thing is happening to me because of you oh no oh by the end of the movie we have a better understanding of each other and it's okay like secret life of pets was like that it was like or toy story it's i still it's, need to see secret life of pets it's toy story with animals Ah. That is 100% what the storyline is. Oh, well, thank you. Almost almost shockingly so. Uh, right. But it, the, the voice works good. It's enjoyable. Is uh, it Louis C.K., the main character? He is, and he's quite endearing. I, was, I always imagine Floyd sounds like Louis C.K. in his head. Yeah, but th- he probably sounds a little more like Louis, Louis C.K. This is very upbeat, real happy Louis C.K. in this yeah, no, one. He sounds, he sounds like Louis C.K., the... The comedian, <laughs> not the voice actor. Um, my number two movie, I would probably go with uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Another uh, movie I haven't seen. It was really good, even even with the twist that some people hated. I, I really liked it, and it was such... It was such a good example of responsible filmmaking from a financial perspective, of like telling this really intimate and extremely intense story in one location like but having it be so tightly written and such a compelling piece like the whole thing plays out as a play if you got rid of the opening credit sequence and the end like the very very end 
it could have been a play. Yeah, I, well, I mean, it's three actors. I absolutely love. I love Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I love John Gallagher Jr. and I love John Goodman. So, I mean, I don't know why I haven't seen it. It's it's a hundred percent worth the Amazon rental. It's very enjoyable. I'd be interesting to hear. It'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on the twist. Um, okay. Um, no, it's it's a it was a very pleasant surprise again i liked the movies that surprised me this year and i also liked the movies that disappointed me this year like i oh, i'm so lenient on batman v superman i should beat it up for so many things but there are parts of it that i just ah uh, i just loved <laughs> and then there I, were parts that i i gave i it totally <laughs> i totally get what you're saying though because in theory, I want to love the DC movies mm-hmm. so badly. Yeah. Like, I want to. Because I do really, really like DC. Mm-hmm. But it just... The the film work has not been quality. Like, Suicide Squad was the biggest letdown for me because I was so excited. Yeah, um, that movie seemed to survive entirely on atmosphere or experience, but not in, like... I don't know. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny very well. No, it doesn't. But there were parts in Batman v Superman, and I, it, the darker parts, I think it's my favorite Bruce Wayne. Definitely oh, yeah. my favorite Bruce Wayne that I've seen ever. Like I, I mean, Christian Bale was a, was good, but I don't know. I, I like this worn, wearied uh, Batman that Ben Affleck played. I did love that. And I liked the house and just like the... I loved the tunnel underwater. Like, mm-hmm. I loved all of that. Lois Lane, I was just like, you are so incredibly worthless, and you're giving a bad name to Lois Lane. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> kind of just got rid of Lon... Um, they kind of... Uh, I, I, I don't, I don't want to go on a big rant about it. No, um, I gotcha. <laughs> I I'm going like, thro- could... to throw this thing that's very important into some water. Oh, wait, I need that. Oh, no, I'm trapped in the water. <laughs> She's so dumb. I was just uh, like, what is the logic in that? I was like, you worked so hard on that bullet thing earlier, and now... Mm. Although it did actually make me think of an interesting point. The opening of that movie when Bruce Wayne's driving around in like the not-so-subtle product placement for Jeep. Yeah. I was like, that's something I don't know. What do companies pay for product placement like that? Mm-hmm. Like, you, like his uh, Batman v Superman, you know... Hundreds of millions of dollars were spent to make that film. Plus, then you have to advertise it. And they make money for the uh, marketing materials, like, with Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper does pay an amount of money to put Superman on the can, even though it promotes the film. I don't... It's not much, but it, it cuts both ways. But Jeep must have paid them a hefty sum to get jeep products featured like that and they do it in stuff all the time i just don't know how much it is yeah and to to factor that against the budget and say well this is our budget but we also just made you know 15 million dollars from jeep or whatever like who you know pick your number pick your thing or like the uh the kmart product placement in man of steel or was it sears it was sears it was sears yeah and they're fighting in a sears or like the xbox placement in the first transformers movie the little xbox that becomes the robot or mm-hmm. it becomes the creature, yeah. Yeah, I... That was a weird callback. Right? But oh, it, it man, stuck man. with me. It stuck with me. Remember when we all went and saw the first Transformers movie? It was like, I don't know what I just saw, but it was really, really explosion-y. Yep. And then we were like, 
Michael Bay. And a subtle pause rested on the city. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah. Michael Bay, you beautiful bastard. I think... I I kind of respect him for continuing to make Transformers movies exactly how he wants to make Transformers movies. Yep, he's like, <laughs> I'm just going to be me, guys. I got to be me. He's like, you can complain all you want, but... But you're uh, still watching it. <laughs> right? Like, I don't care about domestic box office depreciation. As long as the foreign box office keeps going up, he's like, whatever. <laughs> Billion Dollar Club don't care. <laughs> Uh, this is a great writing podcast. I know, right? We're ta- we're definitely really delving into our craft. Um, but for for the sake of writing, you know, I think that my number one movie of the year. Ah, see, I'm I'm such oh, I don't even I think it might actually be. Okay. Okay. For movie-going experience, which is what I'm going to judge this on because I'm only doing movies that I, you know, didn't watch at my house. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of have to say Batman v Superman because I enjoyed that experience so much. Even though there are things in the script I would have changed drastically. Basically rewrite Lois Lane completely. Um, uh, yeah. I actually really enjoyed jesse eisenberg i really enjoyed ben affleck i think henry cavill is a good choice i think he's they're just misusing superman yeah they're not giving him enough i agree with you mostly i did not like jesse eisenberg though interesting i like i don't like jesse eisenberg playing jesse eisenberg it's like with will smith like i think will smith is awesome in a lot of ways but Mm -hmm. he's just playing will smith like it was will smith playing deadshot playing will smith like gotcha it's eh to me. But yeah, I, 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 I get I, that. Continue, but though. I, if you go for the modern tech mogul angle on it, if you if you buy that hook, I buy Jesse Eisenberg in the role. And I actually did get much more menace from him than I thought I would. Like, there's, there's some real moments where I'm like, huh, it is a little cartoony they're definitely making him not the luthor we've had luthor before was always trying to be the pinnacle of man like he is he is the rockefeller he is the aster he is um jp morgan he's one of these titans of industry that everyone is supposed to aspire to be like and superman upsets that paradigm there is a new person to admire and I don't think that that's the driving force necessarily with this Lex Luthor. It's not, oh, I was considered the greatest thing ever, and now this guy shows up and everyone wants to be Superman. People are supposed to want to be me. Like, Lex Luthor has a huge ego. But in this interpretation, his ego didn't seem like it was upset by the existence of Superman in the like I've been knocked off my pedestal kind of way. I don't think anybody was ever looking at this Lex Luthor and was like, I know who I want to be exactly like. I think there are elements of him, but he was much more Lex Luthor, the scientist in this, in the craziness. Like in, he was was Lex Luthor, mad scientist, more than Lex Luthor stand in for, you know, Rockefeller. No, and and I I totally get that. I, I like that interpretation because it seems more... If you're going to change things, I want them to be a big change. Um, but not 
fundamentally altering the DNA of the character. Like, do something different while keeping certain aspects. And I, I enjoyed his Lex because it was so smart for the most part. I think his, his Lex did think things through and he had plans in motion and he was very manipulative and very calculating and I like that in my supervillains. I, I like that there is orchestrated chaos in the world. I like a little bit of a devil figure that is intentionally fucking everything up. Yeah. So I, it, it I would, resonated. I would say I like Lex Luthor in that film post spoiler alert for a movie that came out like six months ago, the explosion mm-hmm. in the court. Yeah. I'd say post that he goes like crazy. And I I liked the manic, crazy brilliance that he had. Right. Like that was interesting to me. There were parts that still fell flat for me, but there was I, I liked that. I I felt like he wasn't just what I've seen before in that part. But I still I don't know, I wanted to see him go a little bit more crazy. I guess. Yeah. Because there like... like, there's always like a manic energy with Lex Luthor, in my opinion, that I really like to see. Like Kevin Spacey fell so flat for me when he was Lex Luthor because he was so even keeled. It bugged the hell out of me. So who's your go-to? Did you like Gene Hackman then, or? Um, honestly, uh, I liked the uh, Michael Rosenbaum from Smallville. <laughs> Okay. See, I'm my main like Luthor for me is uh the you know the animated Superman series from the oh well yeah nineties. I thought we were talking about actors. Oh yeah, I'm just talking about interpretations of the character in general. Um, but yeah, so this is and this is very different from that one too. Yeah. Um. But no, oh, that's interesting. The Smallville guy. Eh, yeah, I can see it. I can see the appeal. I, I I think he did it very well. No. I just kind of hate Smallville as a concept, mostly because I hate when you do origin stories and everybody already knew each other. And they just try to tie in everything that eventually happens to a character from their glory days that you know about back to... Oh, but these characters have been the part of their life the whole time. And they retconned, you know, Superman and Lex both being from Smallville years ago in the comics. And it's always just felt stilted to me. I just hate that. I'm like, don't make it this lifelong thing. Because then Lex looks like a fucking idiot for not knowing that that's Superman. It's like that. It just completely undoes his character. If he spent his entire life with this person, it's one thing if it's some nobody reporter that he can just shove off. And like, I don't really have much of a concept of you as a person because you're just some guy who's a reporter in the city that I have a little interaction with. But when he's known him his whole life, it's like, Lex, Lex, come on, man, come on. (laughs) Just take off the glasses. (laughs) I do love that. Uh, That, um... I do like that Jesse Eisenberg's Lex knew. Like, he was aware who they were. Exactly. Like, he was like, I just think it's more fun pretending like I don't. Mm Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, Jimmy Kimmel's sketch about that was was great. (laughs) Still one of my favorite things that happened from this movie. Um, 
And also, I'm. I, I I was a little bummed with how they how they were sort of using the connections to Cyborg and Aquaman and the Flash to like make it so it's a good setup for Justice League. Like I I got a little frustrated because I'm like, how do you have the logos for the Justice League team already? But yeah, I that did... was that was it. No, the having a logo, like having like somebody spent design time on that drive that you stole. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, but I have to say, I am so excited for Ezra Miller to be the Flash. Oh yeah, he's. I I mean, as I've been very funny him. in the trailers, and I think I think he'll do a good job. Yeah, I think he's gonna. I, I just like when Ben Affleck's like, "I'd like to recruit you to a team," and he's like, "Yep, I need friends." <laughs> I need friends. Sure, I'll bury. <laughs> Oh, Barry. Stop fucking up timelines. Honestly. But life is not simple. The truth is not simple. True art is not simple. True art is as deep and convoluted and various as the minds and souls of the human beings who create it. So what was your question? (laughs) That's a quote by David Mamet. Sorry. Yes, David Mamet. (laughs) I'm going to pretend I said that. David Mamet. From my, uh, one of my favorite books, Three Uses of the Knife, um, which is his uh, thoughts on the nature and purpose of drama. Um, And he really gets into the heart of the ritual that is performance and theater and storytelling in that manner and why it matters to humanity and why we return to it over and over and over again over thousands of years. Uh, it's very compelling stuff. Extremely up his own ass at times, like so full of himself. But there's gold in there. It's not a long read and it's very, very good. Yeah, you've talked to me. Actually, when we had our blog, that was the book you recommended to me, mm-hmm. which I loved. Like I loved that I, the, I haven't read it. I don't love the book yet. I have not read it yet. But I loved how you explained it and why you recommended it. It. I will read it. I do promise to read it. I'll tweet uh, my underlined passage that you just quoted. Uh, I'll tweet that a picture of that later. Awesome. Yeah. Something to look forward to. Hooray. Because, you know, it's Sunday. What else do I have? Uh, so what was your question, though? There, there wasn't a question. You asked. You said you were going to ask me a question after you told me your three favorite movies. Oh, I was going to ask you what um, the biggest surprise for you as a writer was this year. Like, in the course of writing, because you did a lot. You wrapped up the blog, launched the <laughs> poetry project, um, you had your retreat, uh, you did your first public reading, did a lot. So... What was the biggest surprise for you as a writer this year? Like, what happened in your writing life where you're like, oh, damn. Um, hmm. Uh, damn, I don't know. I Okay, think... let me... No, go ahead. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, go. What were you saying? Well, I was going to say, let me rephrase. What was what was the biggest discovery you made about yourself in through writing this year? That's, I mean, still tricky. But I would say... I mean, we've talked about how when I was younger, I wrote poetry, like a lot of poetry. Um, And so I knew that I liked it, but I think 
I think I didn't realize how much my heart is still in that. And I, I've been blogging for several years. I've, I've written a little bit of nonfiction, uh, like essays, and done some flash fiction, which I'm getting more into now, um, uh, this month particularly. But I guess I had kind of written off, pardon the joke there, but uh, poetry. I hadn't really thought that, that there was a place for it in my life. And reevaluating its place this year has been pretty amazing that there's still there's still stories I want to tell that way there's still feelings I want to express that way and that's really exciting to me that as much as I have changed that is still something that is needed in my life so I guess that would be the biggest surprise also that I did not throw up when public when I was doing some public speaking last week. That was also quite the surprise. Oh, you act like you've never been in front of a crowd before. Well, I mean, pretending to be someone else in plays is a very different thing than being yourself and reading something you wrote. Oh, you were just pretending? No, I bet you were embodying that character. I bet you were that character, Adair. Don't sell oh, yeah. yourself short. Most definitely. You know me. I was, I mean, I wasn't cast as leads for nothing. No, but so it was, it was different. I, I, I did not make an ass out of myself, which was kind of cool. And I ended up reading more than one poem, which I didn't initially plan to do, but I did. And it was well received. So that was great. Awesome. And now I have, you know, a book with my poem in it. What, what? Which is Publication. Cool. Yeah, I went into Elliott Bay Books this week to find, to see the book. And it's just there. And I'm like, wow, I am for sale in Elliott Bay Books. That's nifty. Crossing that off list. Yeah, you know, there you go. That's my big accomplishment of 2016. All right, so what would you say for you was your biggest surprise, your biggest revelation as a writer? Um, similarly to you, a rediscovery, but not necessarily of, I mean, yes, of poetry, but more in therapeutic writing of how much writing and the actual act of finding the exact word or just spewing stream of consciousness or just either sitting down or trying to sleep and rolling over and picking up my phone, opening up the Google Docs app, which I will have to thank in an award acceptance speech someday. I'll have to thank the team at Google for the Google Docs app. Well, this podcast is sponsored by Google Docs, which uh, we don't often say, but should be should be noted. So where's that check going? <laughs> oh, that's to me. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got that figured out, so we're I gonna, thought like, I deserved it. We're going to have a, a nice little chat as soon as we wrap up here. Yeah, um, that's fair. I mean, I am embezzling so much of your money right now. Huh. I No wonder I needed this new job so bad. <laughs> it's always the short ones, right? Don't trust like anyone. Don't trust anyone under 5'4". That's, that's a good lesson just for life in general right i mean if you can learn anything from luck of the irish <laughs> well i learned that i was a golem <laughs>
Listen to Dizzy Channel, folks. We've plugged it twice now. <laughs> so, so now, continue. The uh, like, in, like watching a a TV show that holds a special place in your heart, or reading content that reawakens something. There's, there's the familiar can be really therapeutic when you're dealing with hard things, but I'm finding more and more that that doesn't do it for me in most instances when I'm having a rough time or um, I'm in the throes of depression or whatever. Like, whenever I'm less than my ideal self, which is constantly, I don't find as much comfort generally in rehashing old stuff that I've watched or read. But I do find a lot of comfort in creating something new and writing more and more and coming up with ideas and concepts and pitching to people. For me, I think the constant need to create is this disconnect between my mind and the way I would like the world and my life to be and the fact that it's not there yet. Um, and there's a lot of things that I'll never be able to really affect or change. And that's a frustrating feeling to accept your limitation and to feel powerless to change things about yourself or the world or family or relationships that there's a lot that's simply outside of your control as a person. But in writing, I find a lot more satisfaction i find freedom and i find redemption honestly in the chance to create new and to get something on paper that would help me sleep a little better you know yeah just expelling the demons a little bit and getting back into that routine of oh this is important to me not just because i like stories and they mean a lot but because the actual act of creating is fundamentally important to me on a character level and just reminding myself of that and you know I didn't have a lot of concrete traction this year with writing um, much more on the producing side I have the complete film production handbook right here on my desk I'm beginning to underline and highlight and go through because I'm planning to try and shoot a movie um in May but there's been a lot of there's been a lot of traction in creation while still writing a lot um, but not not concrete oh I, I wrote X and X is now being read or produced or whatever but it's been it's been a long hard year of transition I agree and um, writing has been really good to me through that. Yeah, I think it is wonderful to have it to come back to, even when you're not focusing on that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's sort of like this idea of you having this solid place. Like when you're a child, like, and you're learning to grow and expand your, what you know in the world, mm -hmm. but you still have your parent to kind of come back to. Right. So yeah, Eric Erickson's psychosocial steps of development. And so writing is kind of that thing that though we want to grow with it, it's also nice to have that safe spot to come back to. It's known. 
and it changes and it grows, but it's something that we know is still there. Yeah. Like places, I mean, you've talked before, um, maybe not on this show, but about the experience of your childhood home being completely changed. Um, Oh, yeah. And how traumatic that was. And like my house doesn't look, on the outside it looks close, but the inside is very different from what I grew up in. Um, (laughs) And, you know, like, my parents look old now. <laughs> they look old. Um, like, my dad's got a big, bushy, white beard. He never had a beard when I was a kid. Um, and now he's got this big, full, like, Santa Claus beard. My parents look old. And I'm married and have, <sighs> you know, responsibilities and a wonderful and interesting life. But the things and the people change so much in life that it's the experience of just being together and trying to navigate those changes and find a way to still find meaning and happiness is like I don't know writing to me is that constant changing and evolving thing that is still somehow constant and it's been a it's been a fascinating journey of discovery with that of like no since for the last quite a while now this is this has mattered and it's going to continue to matter yeah no i mean that's it's very true we're changing a lot a lot happens in our lives year to year and i think it it's going to continue to be that way hopefully for the positive but who's to say mm-hmm. so i think i mean it is good to have these things and these mo- touchstones. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the new year. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on 2016? Just like the, I guess, the, the biggest lesson you learned. Now I kind of already did that. Now I'm just rehashing. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> now I'm just rehashing. Um, uh, well, b- beyond like writing. The biggest yeah. lesson just I have learned as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on to the things that inspire you and make you happy. Don't, don't overcomplicate the fact that some things just need to happen and allow things to change and try not to hold on to them too tightly to stay the same. Because I think when things change, it's because they need to. And, but, you know, search out the things and the people that make you happy and make you feel supported and loved. I think that's been a big thing for me is the amount of energy I put into relationships is very much connected to the amount of energy those people put into their relationship with me. Because for a long time, I was putting in a majority of the energy for most of my relationships. And it was really hard this year because there were some really important relationships that I had to kind of let go of um, with people, you know, that I've known my entire life. And that's painful. But I feel like the relationships I have now seem to really feel very rewarding 
and they seem to feel right. It doesn't feel put like it doesn't feel stressed or forced upon. It feels natural. And so I would say that's probably my biggest takeaway from this year. What about you? I think my biggest takeaway is that life is a marathon, not a sprint. And that getting frustrated over the changes you want to see and the progress and the goals um, doesn't really help you. And then if you just buckle down and do little things and work, really work, then you start a production company. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, things happen and... There are the little little options open up into bigger options and relationships and collaborations and ideas. All the bigger stuff becomes much more actionable. A um, couple of things need to happen and some stuff can really take off, but it's everything's more achievable once there's small incremental steps that have been taken and this year has been a big building year for me of doing a lot of stuff that doesn't seem important or that life-changing or stuff that i even necessarily want to do but by doing them i'm setting myself up better for future success like i don't i don't want to be the events manager for a company that's not that is not my life's ambition but it is a really fantastic thing for me to do right now. And I'm very happy for that. Um, and to see um, how when you do the right thing for sort of an overarching reason or goal like that, how it affects other stuff. Like, um, you know, I didn't think I was... <sighs> you know, going to be on stage much next year, if at all. Um, and I'm already doing a cabaret in the village uh, in January. It'll be good to perform on stage and sing several songs. So I'm really happy about that and working towards other things. But it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of transition and little changes to try and get things better. And mm -hmm. I'm hoping for more of the same in the next year. Well... I hope for that as well. Yeah. For you, not for me. No. Stasis fuck that for noise. you, right? You're like, I ain't changing. Fuck that. Fuck it. <laughs> I am who I am. Anyone who doesn't like it can fuck off. Yeah, we got in like our obligatory five fucks to get to our expletive rating. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, we gotta do it. Because mm -hmm. what are we gonna do? Not swear? If only that were an option. Right? <laughs> Sometimes I go back and listen to an episode of 20 Minutes of Banter and I can just hear my mother's voice going, Dan. <laughs> That's it. Just saying my name. I like that. Isn't it amazing how moms can just say your name and you immediately feel remorse for absolutely every choice you've made in your life to get to that point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, just me? Cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I gotcha. Uh, there's... There are definitely tones from individuals where you just are instantly filled with woe. <laughs> like, yep. It's uh, totally true. Absolutely. It's like some, 
I've definitely had moments where I see a name pop up on my phone for like a text message or a phone call, mm-hmm. and I'm like, shit. <laughs> like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely getting that. I'm like, my phone buzzes and I just feel like Dorothy Parker. What fresh hell is this? <laughs> Every time. Like a dare wants another thing. No. There's uh, always pre- there's there's I'm always the lead up text. There's always the lead up text and then the apology text after. Your ask is always in a sandwich. There's there's a intro text and then there's asking for what you want to ask for and then apologizing for asking for it. I don't apologize for everything. <laughs> you make me see it you make me sound so timid. <laughs> no, you just try to be understanding and good to work it's- with, which I appreciate. You know, if I'm one thing, it's sort of understanding. If you're sort of one thing. If, yeah, if I'm sort of a thing, it's that thing. Hmm. Oh, God. This year needs to end, dude. It really does. Yeah. Get over it. I just feel the life of this year was little wild and it's not i mean everybody's talking about the election and how 2016 was the worst year ever and everybody's personally got something terrible that happened or something that sucks and whatnot but i think i think there's just a collective weariness um that is making everybody really self-reflective right now and everybody's like well what did i do or not do and what what in the world do i want to see different and I think we're starting to transition into that hopeful time right before the year changes. With every, like, once Christmas hits, that week after Christmas, the glow of Christmas, and then before New Year's Eve, I think, I think people are going to kick it into high gear with the hopefulness, like they usually do. But I think this year especially, we need to be hopeful. Um, just that everybody's going to try and do their best. Yeah, I'm really hoping for a good year, and I'm hoping to be a little bit more... Because the second half of the year, it felt kind of downhill at a certain point, but also I feel like I wasn't I wasn't striking up the balance I needed to strike to feel motivated and inspired, but also feel like I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And so yeah. I'm hoping to reach a balance of that. I've been having a lot of thoughts about whether or not I'm going to stay in Seattle. And that's been, I mean, I know you know this, but I mean, that's been, that's been a big question mark for me. Um, Which is hard. It's very hard. And I don't know what the answer is. I mean, there are opportunities in various other states and cities that I love as well. And so... It's it's hard to decide what is going to be the thing that will make me feel happy and like I'm moving forward. And so that's been like my big question at the end of this year. And so I have to say, as hard as 2016 has felt, I think part of it is it's brought to light a lot of questions that I've been able to keep at bay for years because for a very long time in Seattle, it was about making a life for myself and 
you know, identifying who I was now as opposed to who I was in Montana. Right. Because I left in such an unhappy state when I moved here. And so I think it's been, a lot of it has been more self-discovery than figuring out where I want to be in the city or in life. And so it's a blessing almost that my life has evened out to the point that I can ask those questions. So I'm trying to see it as a positive. Yeah, no, there's a reason that philosophy is the pastime of the leisure class. Like there's a reason that artists have had patrons and, you know, sponsors over the years. Like these, this sort of deep soul-searching work whether it is to create something or just to figure stuff out, requires that certain things in your life kind of be in order to give them the time and attention they deserve. Like, you kind of need to know where dinner's coming from if you're going to really think about where you want to be eating for the rest of your life. Like, you kind of have to have some of your ducks in a row to really examine things. And it's nice to reach that point where you're like, I have enough in the bank. I know where I live. I know what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. So let's see what I want to do. Yeah. And where you want to do it. Mm-hmm. I did not think uh, this time last year that I would be pricing out tickets to go to Patagonia, but uh, I got my Google alert set. (laughs) I didn't know you were going to Patagonia. I might be going to Patagonia, yeah. Um, That's very cool. When? March. Oh, nice. So I'll come in April then. Mm Mm-hmm. Smart, smart. Um, Yeah, I'm prepping right now for my my most my my newest trip to texas yeah it seems to be a pattern it is a 22 hour trip to texas which i found hilarious that seems like what are you flying to hawaii first (laughs) no i'm going for a wedding oh you will be in texas for 22 hours (laughs) yes i was imagining the flight path path that would take 22 hours to get to texas yes no i am going to texas um i'm going to texas and i will be there for like an afternoon and an evening to go to a wedding and then i leave very early the next day wow but i mean i love my friends and i'm excited for them to get married and so that was that was the uh that was the way to do it but yeah, and now I'm tra- I'm planning now a trip to Mexico in February, also for 22 hours, because I I feel like that's a good theme. Not gonna get too bored. I think that'd be a good uh, I think that'd be a good YouTube series for you to do. 22 Cities. hours. It's just you yes. traveling somewhere, and you just spend 22 hours in a city. So basically, it's just me looking haggard as fuck. <laughs> Like yeah. my drunk kitchen with bad lighting. <laughs> exactly. Just me in the airport. So I'm in O'Hare again. I'm going up to Montreal. Woo! What, what? 
Hoping someone can speak English, because I'm too tired to speak French. Québécois? <laughs> Mad. So what was... What's your big recommendation for 2016? What was, like, the cool... Anything. Poetry. Music. Film. Television. Books. Visit the doctor regularly. Um, uh, Sounds like a fortune cookie. (laughs) Visit your doctor regularly. Because if not, you may have some disease that's going to take longer to cure. Oh, big recommendations of this year... Fuck. I would say, like, I'm worried about the time. Adair, get going. (laughs) Um, uh, shit. Is it the Prime Minister of Canada? Because I have no idea how to say his last name. All right. Oh, thanks for not giving me a pronunciation. Awesome. I will just pronounce it as best I can. Haruki Murakami. I read several of his books this year, and they're weird. They're fucking weird, but they're really good. And there's some really beautiful emotions in those books. And they've, uh, I actually wrote one of the poems for Everything's an Island is inspired by a character in in his book, Norwegian Wood, Naoko. Um, Wow. Uh, so yeah, I've read Norwegian Wood, Kaf- uh, Kafka on the Shore, and IQ84, mm-hmm. um, or 1Q84, I don't know. It, I think it's IQ, though. So. But yeah, his stuff has like a certain level of mystical belief, like this idea of parallel universes or portals to other other timelines, things like that. But there's just and also just this idea of feeling a little bit lost in your own world. But it's just beautiful stuff. And reading his work has been not like anything I've ever read before, which I like. And it's been really fascinating. And so that would probably be my big recommendation. Having read several of his books over the course of the year, I just read Kafka on the Shore. Super fucking weird book, but... There were some really beautiful elements to it. And huh. so, yeah, that would be my recommendation. I wouldn't say it's like the end-all, be-all recommendation of this year, but I would say that's a really strong recommendation for me. Like, it's been – I started my year out that way, and I'm ending my year out that way. I'm actually – the last book I'm reading in 2016 is the book I uh, – with the character I was named after, which I've never read. It's a huge book. That's a big reason why I haven't read it. Um, but I'm going to read it this year, at the end of the year. Wow. So I'm a little nervous about that because there's something about being named after a character that your parent loved so much that's almost a little worrisome. So we'll see. Yeah, no pressure. Yeah, right? It's like, if I hate this character, it's going to suck. Right? Or if they're or if they're amazing, that's going to suck, too. Yeah, it's like, wow, my parents had big expectations for me. Whoops. Um, so what about you? What's your big recommendation of 2016? My big recommendation of 2016 is actually a podcast um, that I love. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's called Script Notes. Um, 
and it is two professional screenwriters and like they only have about 10 to 13 credits on imdb a piece but um a lot of uh sneaky producer credits and they've done a lot of script doctor work like there's a lot of uncredited work and it's brilliant very well constructed show um it's just the two of them and they talk about different topics they applied uh the art of tidying up that that book about oh you know, god thank, that book. thank each thing and if it doesn't bring you joy let it go or whatever but he applied that to writing and walked you through a script like tidying up a screenplay it was really <laughs> cool they do That's they awesome. do neat stuff like that they'll read the first three pages of people's screenplays that they send them and they'll dissect it and they help they will help their listeners and they uh release a bunch of free materials um like the 101 most frequently asked screenwriting questions and some writing prompts and things like that and it's very it feels like the most earnest public service i've ever seen like these guys just want to help you based on their experience and understanding and so it's a lot of industry insider stuff a lot of intrigue but there's just care for the craft like you can tell part of it is they just want to see good movies get made that's awesome and the more good screenwriters there are in the world the better chance of that happening and they're very humble about their own abilities but it's it's really inspiring because it just becomes attainable concepts that they're talking about these are things that people go through all the time these are the steps this is how to fight back this is when to take the note this is the appropriate response to x criticism or y criticism this is how you get better at this in no uncertain terms it's just very clear tips on the craft um and it's so good adair it's so so good um my sister asked me what uh, she could get me for christmas and i told her they sell a uh usb flash drive with the first 250 episodes of the show on it i would like that please that's awesome yeah um especially because they remove uh they remove the first 250 from itunes so it's only 10251 onward um but yeah it's it's so so good so and everybody all my friends who also write screenplays like jp and um shanna you guys already listened to it um and it took a while for me to come around to it because i was like "Ah, i'm looking at some of their credits some of them were movies that i did not like i was like oh i don't want to listen to these guys but they're so good and you can tell in the process i'm like oh so you were brought on to write that last minute okay oh you were trying to fix that okay so your name's on this but yeah no they're they're very cool very cool that's awesome. It was funny because when you stated, I have two notes on this. One, when you stated a podcast, I like thought I know where where you were going on it, and yeah. so that was exciting that I didn't know where you were going. Um, and then I also like how you say I am Debbie. I am Debbie. I am Debbie. Um, Debbie. Um, yeah, that's that's the yeah. Austin rubbing off on me. I, I mispronounce things a lot unintentionally because he intentionally mispronounces everything. Yeah, he is that way, isn't he? That's two 20-minute of banter plugs, people. Okay, so we're at Quota now? Yeah, so 
listen to that show too. We do good work here. We, we do, do. we do. Work. It's not all, they're not all winners, but we're, we're working hard. This is was... emotional and deep, Dan and Adair. And if you want to hear funny, yet poignant Dan and Adair, listen to our other shows. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I get real poignant on Disney Channel sometimes. Mm-hmm. It depends on how much whiskey I drink. I get very, I get very. And poignant the company, it's interesting uh, to hear how the guest changes the dynamic of the conversation. So oh, it's much. totally true. Yeah. I um, uh, I like it though. It's fun. Yeah, it's cool. It's pretty silly often, but there are some really great conversations and some serious stuff, which I didn't expect with this podcast, but it was, it's a pleasant surprise. Dear God. Dear God. Well, why don't we, why don't we round this, this final installment of the first year of this show? And you know, it's, uh, it's the first, we're closing on the first year of Secret Weapon Productions, period. I know. So... Also, our, our poetry blog will be going on a year. Because yeah. we started in, in, on New Year's. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love I love thinking about how uh, confusing, like, that whole thing got was at first for me. Because I was like, oh, what are we doing? And now how it's just second nature. It's so great. Yeah. Makes me happy. That's cool. Me I know. Too. It's, I mean, like, as much as, like, yeah, 2016 was a lot of work, but, like, if you look at it from where we were, it's kind of awesome, all these little things that started that were just in this beginning stage and now where it's at. Yeah. That's really it's a cool. Big deal. I, I appreciate that you've been, you've stuck with me on not one but two <laughs> new projects. Well, you've been a good partner. It's been fun. And I'm glad to continue to build and grow and make new things and keep expanding and entering into new adventures with you and everyone else in the family, Uh, the secret weapon family, not my regular family. Those people are gross. (laughs) Don't. You hear that, Whitney? Only person who's (laughs) listening to this. You're all gross. Oh, we That's know that. True. My we, wife listens. I was gonna say, your wife's pretty awesome, and I'm pretty sure she listens at least to you recording it. I think she kind of has to. Well, today I specifically got my uh, podcasting to line up with her hair appointment, um, so she's only heard like ten minutes of this show. You are such a good husband. Sometimes. Oh, your Christmas present is in the mail. I got things that oh. I thought you both could enjoy. Aw. Yeah. Well, I was I was trying I was gonna do one thing for you and one thing for her, but I was like, I actually want to get something that they can both enjoy and then they can talk about. Oh, fun. Because I think that's fun. I think, and they're very different, but both really good in my opinion. So there you go. Happy Yuletide. <laughs> So I would yeah. Like, why doesn't Why doesn't Tide put out a uh, holiday themed laundry detergent? Yeah, yeah. the Yule Tide. Um, <laughs> you are hilarious. Uh, but you just gave me our chapter title. Thank you. Well, there you go. Yes. Well, uh, all things serve a purpose. <laughs> exactly, and you serve the purpose of reading me a goddamn poem. I am your poetry robot. 
today, I guess. You're my poetry droid. It sounds a little cooler. This piece is called Haven't Seen You. The days are nights spent in a stupor. No tonic or ointment can be applied. Fatigue is eating raw liver. It doesn't get better. Under what skies will you and I be free? Hypothermic blankets clinging like abandoned babes Veins frozen in this chill. There is no warm that can wake us. This too will end. Times. Collected blinks in a jar. Under a shelf. Waiting for an expectation that will expire before the cleansing wave breaks. Quiet and cold are words. Being alone is not like a walk in a thicket of silence. It is not vacuum. There is an absence that words cannot even paw at the approximation therein. To name the pain is to belittle its truth. Happy 2016, everybody. <laughs> I think it sums up 2016 mighty well. Yeah, I, cold I, and desolate way. It made me so cold when I read it. Your poem actually inspired my poem. This week, Aww. which is, I, I think it's the first time that's happened. Um, Thank you. That's so yeah. Sweet. Well, it was just, it was an interesting thing. I've been thinking about it. It hasn't been, it, like, the last few days have been cold, but it hasn't been ever Montana cold in Seattle. And mm -hmm. so I forget about that. But I act, it's funny because when I sent you my poem, you said it reminded you of when we were neighbors and we would, like, brave those two blocks of snow in the winter. And for me, your poem reminded me of walking on campus when hmm. it was so fucking cold that you couldn't recognize people and you would just see their scarves. Yeah. But it was like this, I don't know, it was a certain kind of m miserable feeling that you couldn't give a word to. Like you're just, you just struggled to wake up and put on the 18 layers of wool and i i was kind of inspired by that last line of to give it a name would be to belittle it because not just with the cold but with so many feelings and so many processes in your life it feels like there isn't a word for it and yeah it's the um what do they call it uh, conceptual nexus. Language kind of limits our experience of things once they're once they're named. Once it's you're not experiencing the chair just as something you're sitting in. You're thinking I am sitting in a chair. 
everything goes through that filter of language as we develop and understand um, the way the world works. And it kind of takes away the magic of just experience without process and analysis. Just naming something is, to a certain degree, an analysis of it. And to take it from being something that's experienced to something that is known and understood to a certain extent and communicated to other people. But there are some things that are so experientially damaging that no word is ever going to accurately describe what that feeling is. And any word we assign to it is almost insulting. Like for certain pains and griefs, I think there's just never going to be a true painting in words. Any representation of it is just going to pale to the experience of like losing a child or, you know, burying someone, killing someone, like even th things less extreme than that. But they, there are things in this world that cannot be understood through language. No, I... I 100% agree. I feel like this connects back to our podcast, uh, our last podcast, where we discuss how certain songs can make you feel less alone because it makes you feel like there are words for that experience because someone else mm -hmm. has been through that. And exactly, yeah. I think as a writer, one of the most frustrating things is to have something painful or beautiful or heartfelt in your head and know how you want it to sound, but no matter how you write it, no matter what the words are, it's not indicative of the feeling it gives you and that it, the, the experience it brings to you is not the same when you're reading it as when you think about it. And I think that is yeah. such a frustration that I will always suffer from. Like, I think all, all creators will to see a sunset and never be able to take a photo that does it justice or to write a poem to express a moment and never have it feel like it encapsulates that moment to write a film about an experience and to feel like it felt or and to feel as if it is trite or it's contrived mm -hmm. i think that's the that's that's the struggle and I think that saying what you have said, it captures a much bigger piece of being human. Yeah, I think there's a part of, a big part of human growth and understanding is knowing what you cannot ever really be okay with. Like there are things that are universal pains that were just going to have to deal with, but there's never going to be a cure-all, there's never going to be an answer, there's never going to be any sort of resolution. Um, to breathe is to risk harm and pain and loss, and when the weight of that encroaches at its worst times, it, it can't be named. It can't be filmed, really. I mean, you can see people holding the bodies of their children in Syria and 
even though that footage is real and obviously not staged or scripted or anything, just the, the those images, that, that footage can't possibly communicate the depth of human despair that is being experienced by that person. Just seeing it is never enough. Just being told about it, even interviews after the fact, if that person then sat down years later and talked about the experience, they would never have the words. It's like people who went through the Holocaust or anything, anything. There are things that just can't ever be truly understand unless you've understood, <laughs> unless you've experienced them. And even then, you, there's only so much you can say about it to another person, even if they've experienced it too. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And yeah. I think it's a... I like that you brought that up. I like that that is part of it. It's cool to know the limitations of what you can do as a writer or as a performer or as anything that where you're trying to communicate message or meaning or substantive thought. Because there is a, there is a wall. There's a limit. There are things that you just aren't going to get there. You can try, um, and you might do a good approximation or get close, but you're, it's, it's always not, not quite going to be it, which is why art, I think, helps us understand life, but at the end of the day, art is not life. And that's a, that's a humbling realization whenever you get lofty thoughts about your own abilities <laughs> or what you do. Yep. Deep, bro. Very deep. No, I mean, yeah, where do you Wanna go? Want to go out that? on a good note. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> art is life, but it's not. So uh, stay with us next year. Um, no. uh, Thanks for joining us, guys. Like, yeah. We really appreciate you hearing us ramble about things we want to do, things we are doing, and things that uh, we're coming to understand a little better, maybe. Yeah both our expectations of ourselves and the limits we know to be true of ourselves. Exactly. All right. Well, I love you, Dan. I know this is not the last time I will talk to you in 2016, but thank you for another year of contributions and partnership. I can't express enough how important it is to me to have you as a writing partner and a podcast co-host and how I, much I look forward to these, these talks and our correspondence in general. Ditto. <laughs>